let's open our uh, Bible to Luke um, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 26 through 38. Luke 1. Most of us are familiar with that passage. Luke 1, verses 26, and I'm going to read through 38. This is the word of God. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angels answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth had also conceived a son in her old age, and she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the rain. And we thank you for all the seasons that you bring us through in life. Lord, we pray that you would open our heart today just to listen and to obey. And help me communicate your word clearly. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Actions and reactions. Actions and reactions. To act is to do something, and to react is to respond to an action. For instance, if I turn on the fire alarm because there is a fire, this is an action. I'm performing something. Now, how are you going to respond to the fire alarm? This is your reaction. In this case, your response to the fire alarm matters. Why? Because it shows whether you care for your life or not. So, our responses matter.
But when it comes to our relationship with God, the way we respond to God is critical because it reflects how much we love him. Because it reflects how much we are devoted to him. Because it reflects how much we want more of him. And to say it simply, to love God is to obey God. So our responses to God's will matter. The passage we read tells us a story of God taking an action and a human response to that action. And in our text, God acts by sending a message to Mary. And she responds to that message. And today, we're going to learn from Mary that submission to God's will is what God expects from his children. If I would... uh, provide an outline for today's text, it would be something like this. From verse 26 through 28, it's the context of the message. The context of the message, 26 through 28. Then the big bulk is the message, which is from uh, uh, verse uh, verse 29 through 37, the message. And then the response to the message. And this is just one verse. It's verse 38. The context of the message, the message, and the response to the message. Verse 26 through 28 sets the context of the message, which is all about Jesus' birth. Luke records that after six months of Elizabeth becoming pregnant with John the Baptist, God acted in history by sending an angel to a city of Galilee in Nazareth. So, in verse 26, Luke introduces the messenger. The messenger is an angelic being. Angelic beings are being created by God to serve God's purposes. The name of the angel is Gabriel. Gabriel is one of those special angels in Scripture. He had a higher rank. When he appeared to Zechariah in chapter 1 or in Luke 1, he introduced himself this way. He said uh, to Zechariah, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. So this points to his position as an angel. And he revealed to Zechariah the birth of John the Baptist. Also, Gabriel in Daniel 8 helped Daniel understand God's plan for the nation of Israel in the last Days, So his duty uh, to be a messenger of revelation, bringing revelation from God to man. In other words, uh, Gabriel's job was uh, to work for the DPS. If you Google the DPS, you will not find it. Okay? Why? Because this is the divine postal service. So this is what, what, what Gabriel was doing. So in verse 26, Luke states that Gabriel was sent from God. The sending of Gabriel highlights God's initiative in which God does not so much enter a story as make a story. So in verse 26, Luke not only introduced the messenger, but he also referred to the location where the messenger was sent. 
um, it, as the text says, that he was sent to Nazareth. It's um, a city of Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth did not have a good reputation back then. It was a despised city. Jews in general thought that the Jews in Nazareth were defiled because of their interaction with the Gentiles. This is why it makes sense when we read the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 45 and 46, when Philip proclaimed to Nathanael that he found the one Moses wrote about in the law, which is a reference to Christ, Nathanael answered, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So in short, Nazareth, though it was a lowly city, despised city, but God sent an angel to deliver a message to someone specific in that city. Sometimes God acts in a way that we cannot fully grasp. And those are the times when we have to fully trust in his incomprehensible ways. Why? Because when God chooses to do something for his people, it is always the best. After introducing the messenger and the location to which the message was sent, Luke provides information about the recipient of the message, and that is in verse 27. Luke tells us that the recipient is a girl named Mary. He describes and tells us about Mary, some information. Mary was a virgin, and the word virgin implies that Mary was not only a young woman, but she had never had a sexual relationship with, with a man. Mary was unmarried, and the condition of Mary's virginity receives confirmation in verse 34 when Mary herself states to, the, it states to Gabriel that she knew no man. And to emphasize this point, Luke, in verse 27, mentions that Mary was a virgin twice. So the emphasis on her virginity, in fact, sets up the context of Jesus' miraculous birth. So barren wombs like Elizabeth had been opened before, but a virgin conception was an unprecedented act of God and Luke wants to prepare his reader for this mind-blowing fact. Again, a barren womb, bearing a child. Okay, we've seen that. But a virgin bearing a child? No way. But not only Mary was a virgin, but Luke tells us that she was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Some translation says that she was betrothed instead of engaged. And both words signify the serious intention of both parties to be married. However, the concept of engagement for the Jews back then was different and meant more than what we think of engagement in our modern day. Engagement represented a permanent relationship nearly equivalent to marriage. And the only exception was that they did not 
live together until after the wedding. So engagement legally binded both parties together. And to break off an engagement required a a decision that is similar to divorce. So Mary was an engaged girl. She was just simply a young woman who had a very quiet life. She was poor. She had nothing. And she was home, living a simple life and preparing and planning for her wedding. But we need to remember that God sometimes interrupts our lives and shakes our nests to redirect our path toward some greater purposes related to his kingdom. Now in verse 27, Luke gives further details about Mary's engagement. She was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. And Joseph was a descendant of David. Literally, descendant is, can be replaced with the household from the household of David. The fact that Joseph is from the house of David is a very interesting piece of information for two reasons. One, being a descendant of David, it alludes to what we call the Davidic covenant, which was an important covenant that God made with David and his seed. And we can find that covenant in 2 Samuel 7. We'll talk about that in, 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 in a second. But this covenant, the Davidic covenant, we describe that covenant as an unconditional covenant. Why is it called unconditional covenant? Because the fulfillment of that covenant depends only on God and not on human to bring all the elements of the covenant to completion. So the Davidic covenant is a covenant that it is made between God and David, where God promised David and Israel a king. Namely, that king is the Messiah who would come from David's lineage and to be more specific from the tribe of Judah who will establish God's kingdom and, and this kingdom will endure forever. So by mentioning that Joseph was a descendant of David, Luke prepares his audience for the announcement that Gabriel is revealing to Mary in verse 32 and 33. And we will talk about that shortly. But the second reason this statement is important is also this. Since Mary, at the time of her engagement, was considered Joseph's wife, the child born to Mary would be regarded as Joseph's. Legally, since Mary, at the time of her engagement, is Joseph's wife, any child born to Mary would be regarded as Joseph's if he accepted to care for the child. And the account of Matthew, to be more specific, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, elaborates on this point. But when Joseph knew that Mary was pregnant, he struggled. 
But because he was a righteous man, he wanted to send Mary away to divorce her quietly without disgracing her. And to have a public divorce would have exposed Mary to public, public disgrace. And Joseph's compassion would not allow him to expose her to public humiliation. Joseph was a kind and a forgiving man. Therefore, he chose the option to have a private divorce before two witnesses and dismiss Mary quietly. This way, he could keep his reputation while still showing compassion. However, God intervened and sent the angel Gabriel to Joseph. And the angel first reminded Joseph of his messianic lineage by calling him the son of David. But he also commanded Joseph and told him, do not divorce Mary, but go ahead and marry her. And the child will therefore legally be Joseph's son and thus legally the son of David. Sometimes God shows us that we have more options than what we think. Although Joseph seemed to be doing the right thing by breaking the engagement, God helped him to make the best decision. So when we struggle to make an important decision, we should see God's wisdom knowing that God's wisdom always serves God's kingdom. So to make a good decision, we ought to pray, evaluate all our options, talk with trusted friends, and then act in faith. And remember that God is with us in every step. So to summarize what I've just said, verse 26 and 27 tells us about the messenger and the recipient of the message. Now, let's look at the content of the message, beginning verse 28. The angel Gabriel approaches Mary and greets her. First, he said to Mary, Greetings, favored one. Or, it can be translated, One who is favored by God. What is that? The favor of God, as one author wrote, can be described as, quote, the tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord, end quote. This approval has God's grace as its foundation, as its base. So favor is closely connected to grace. So with such a greeting, we know that Mary, in this case, was a special recipient of God's grace. She was the object of his favor. And this language of being favored by God also appears elsewhere in Scripture. For instance, in Genesis 6, 8, speaking of Noah finding favor in God's eyes. Um, in Exodus 33, 17, speaking of Moses finding favor in God's sight. But again, why did they find favor? The short, simple answer is this. Because God decided so. If you want to support 
for that scriptural support, go and read Romans 9. Because this is grace. So this greetings points to Mary as a recipient of God's grace. Roman Catholicism teaches that Mary is full of grace in a sense that she is able to confer or to grant favor for people. This is a theological error because Mary does not grant favor. Rather, she is a recipient of God's favor. Or as one author puts it, quote, Mary is not the mother of grace. She is the daughter of grace, end quote. So after saying to Mary that she is favored by God in verse 28, Gabriel adds the following words. The Lord is with you. Gabriel here is not wishing that God would be with Mary, but he is telling Mary a reality. The Lord is with you. And there are a few observations that we can make here. First, the term Lord is the Greek term. The Greek term is kurios. It's a term that highlights God's sovereignty. It refers to God's mighty power governing and present in all circumstances. In this case, the phrase the Lord is with you means that the one who is in control, who is in charge of everything, is by you, Mary. But the Lord is with you also is a very interesting phrase that deserves a careful attention because it's, it's often repeated in Scripture. It always appears in the context of a divine commission. Whenever God chooses someone for a mission, he reassures him with the phrase, I will be with you. So when God sends someone, he promises to be the closest companion to whom he sends. That phrase should provide a great encouragement because the assurance of God's presence guarantees the success of God's mission. And I believe that Mary was aware of Old Testament scripture and she was familiar with that phrase because this phrase, I will be with you, was told to Moses before he uh, left Egypt and took the Israelite to go to the promised land. God said to Moses, I will be with you. God said to Joshua, I will be with you before conquering the promised land. God said to Gideon, I will be with you. God said to Jeremiah, although he did not see any fruit during his entire life, but he said to him, he confronted, give him comfort by those words, I will be with you. And I believe Mary was aware of all of that. But in the meantime, here is a girl who was living in a despised town and was getting ready to get married. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared to her and said to her, you're favored by God and God is with you. What in the world is going on here? In my opinion, that Mary's response to that greeting in verse 29 is totally normal. The text says in verse 29, is just she was perplexed at that statement. And in the original language, it highlights how this, the salutation threw Mary into a state of confusion. It troubled her soul. She doesn't get it. 
But Luke also mentioned in verse 29 that this greeting caused Mary to keep pondering what kind of salutation was this. Mary was shocked. And when we are shocked, we pause to think and process as Mary did. Though she heard God's grace and promise to be with her, in her human mind she was wondering, what was God doing? But Mary's confusion paved the way to the angel's explanation. Mary needed some words of assurance. That's why in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. So Mary, we can deduce that she was afraid at least for two reasons. One, being in the presence of an angel. To be honest with you, I don't know if an angel appears now here in this room. What are we going to do? You know, maybe some will jump from here, but thankfully they're sealed. You know, I don't know what will happen. But every angelic appearance, people just are on the ground. So she was afraid. And point two, she was trying to understand why a heavenly visitor should greet her in such an exalted way. She was afraid, but her fear was a healthy one. Mary's fear was caused by a sudden, sudden direct divine intervention. And God's direct intervention was unexpected. It was perplexing and potentially disturbing. But only divine words of assurance could put, can put everything back in order. Sometimes God intervenes in our lives in an unexpected ways that cause us to fear. But such fear aims to redirect us to God, to trust in Him and His purposes for us. So in verse 30, Gabriel reassures Mary, do not be afraid. Then he provides the grounds of his assurance, of her assurance, that she have found favor with God. He repeats what he had just said earlier. But finding grace in this context is not simply limited to receiving mercy and forgiveness. It's much more. Finding grace with God means that God entrusted her with something greater to do and to bear. God has given Mary an unexpected gift, and with that gift, all that she needed to be was to be faithful, a faithful steward of that gift. And sometimes God's blessing and gifts are given at unexpected times, situations, or even locations. Not only this, but remember that God's gifts are meant to serve God's kingdom. But the question is, how do God's people treat those gifts? And we see in verse 31 and 33, Gabriel now unfolds what is that grace and gift. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So God's grace or gift to Mary is that she will conceive a son, and not just any son. Gabriel makes seven predictions here. One, he announces to Mary that Mary, she would 
though she is a virgin, she will conceive. The second announcement, that she will call her son Jesus. And the Hebrew word means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. Unlike Matthew one twenty one, Luke does not explain what does that mean, that the word Jesus means that Yahweh is salvation. Matthew explains that, that his name is Jesus. Why? Because he saves his people from their sins. But Luke does not highlight the salvation aspect here as much as he want to highlight Jesus' humanity. And if you study the Gospel of Luke, that's the theme running through that gospel, the humanity of Christ. That Christ is fully human is a major theme in the gospel of Luke. So the third announcement, as verse 32 says, that the child will be great. In Luke 1.15, it was foretold that John the Baptist will be great in the sight of the Lord. But of Jesus, it was declared that he will be great. And greatness here refer to his being or his nature. And to be honest with you, we have no idea what does that word mean, the word great. When you say to someone, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, I believe that that word does not belong to humans at all. It belongs only to God. When I was at Glacier National Park last summer, And I was just fascinated by the mountains. And it's just huge, huge mountains, the wildlife and the trees. And I was just standing just around all of that. And it was really, I don't know how to express it. But I was reminded of one thing. Is that all what I see and all this impression that it has on me, this is nothing. Eternity is not enough to understand the greatness of God. So Luke make in Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when the word great is used to describe someone, it refers only to God. So Luke make this point here, and he points to the fact that this child will be great. The first announcement in verse 32 about the child that he was be called the son of the Most High. Again, that term, Most High, is a term that describes divinity. Same thing in the Old Testament. Most High is an exclusive name for the one and true God, emphasizing his majesty and his supremacy over all. And in in, in Jewish thought, the word son of, uh, sometimes it was used just to refer to some qualities that the son shares with his father. To give, to give a, an example, for instance, in Luke 9, John and James were called the son of thunder. John and James, they were the son of Zebedee. But Jesus described them at an instance that they were the son of thunder. Why? Because at that instance, uh, they seemed possessing some truly thunder-like qualities. They wanted fire on the Samaritan's village because when they were passing 
through that village. The village didn't welcome them. So Jesus said, you're son of thunder. Same thing as uh, John in the book of Acts. He was called by the disciples uh, Barnabas. And Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Why he was called the son of encouragement? Because he was an encourager. With that said, by saying that the child is the son of the Most High, Gabriel is informing Mary that her son would share similar attributes to God. And by being called the son, he would be someone with a special intimate relationship with God. So Jesus is the God-man. The fifth announcement that the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Again, one more time, he evokes the Davidic covenant and all the promises of the Davidic covenant. And second, he says that by having the throne of David, this points back to a very important prophecy in Isaiah 9, the Emmanuel prophecy. The prophecy of Isaiah was at a time was given at a time that were a lot of confusion in Israel. It was a dark time. It was a time when Israel needed hope. But the prophecy of Isaiah gave Israel that hope in that time of need. And this is a reminder for us that God meets our deepest need at just the right time. And this is the prophecy of Emmanuel. It says, For a child will be born to us. He will give, be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government. Or of peace. And on the throne of David. And over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice. So Isaiah wanted to direct Israel to one truth. And that's, this is it. That God promises will only be accomplished through his chosen messianic ruler. And to place trust in anyone else, this is folly. This is Luke's point as well. Final announcement the angel makes is that the coming child will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will have no end. What Mary heard from the angel, though greatly surprising, it was greatly promising as well. She heard words of hope. And these words reflect God's mercy and faithfulness. In, in Mary's mind, one truth is highlighted, that God keeps his promises. And he never turned down those who trust in him. But Mary asks a valid question, how this happened since I am a virgin? She was, she was puzzled. Mary believed in the promises of God, but she also understood normal biology. What Mary was asking for was in what manner the prediction of the angel will happen, assuming that it will happen. 
For this reason, one author writes, rather than demanding to see, Mary simply states her inability to see. But now, in verse 35, the angel answered her and explained to her how is this going to happen. First, the conception of Mary will be through the involvement of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will, be, will come upon you. It is God who is taking that initiative in Mary's conception. And similarly, Luke speaks or presents the Spirit of God coming upon a virgin with the power of the Most High as God conceives a human nature into the world. So the virgin conception of Jesus then did not originate from the will of man. It is a divine intrusion. And Jesus' conception is the work of God's creative power. And then he elaborates, Luke elaborates when he says, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the point is that Mary's conception is purely divine, miraculous, and governed by God's power and presence. And Jesus was not conceived in Adam, but by the divine power of the Holy Spirit. This ensured that the child who was born from Mary is in fact the God-man. God alone can bring something out of nothing, life out of death, and fertility from a barren woman and even a virgin birth. Moving to verse 35. 35, Luke clearly declares Christ's humanity as a child to be born, but also he has divine attributes as well. And this is what the incarnation is all about, that the eternal Son of God takes on human nature to dwell among his people. And this is why we call the prophecy in Isaiah the Emmanuel prophecy. And we see that clearly in one of the creeds of the early church. They fought for it. They fought far for it when they said, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came down to heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became a man. This is Christmas. Christmas is not a season. Christmas is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That believers in Christ can celebrate, not seasonally, but every moment of their life eternity will be celebrating that person jesus christ but those who are not in christ the wrath of god will remain on them will remain on them and they will experience eternal punishment don't forget that the original purpose of christmas is easter 
from day one, Jesus had his eyes fixed on the cross. And he determined to go to Jerusalem to die. The most heinous death. But death was not the end. He was raised on the third day. He conquered the grave and he conquered death. He conquered evil. He conquered sin and the power of sin. And he offered eternal life for those who have faith in him. This is what Christmas is all about. And finally, Luke wanted to encourage Mary and give her words of reassurance. He pointed her to Elizabeth. He said, hey, look at Elizabeth. And, and if I would paraphrase the angel's words to Mary about Elizabeth, it would be something like this. Mary, God has a habit of making the impossible happen. And if you think I lie, go and look at Elizabeth. So Gabriel asserts in verse 37 that nothing is impossible with God. Mary was an unmarried virgin. Conception for her without a husband is impossible. But her state presents no obstacle to God in accomplishing his divine will. Now concluding with verse 38, the question now, how did Mary respond to all of that? Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Mary responded with one single word to God's message to her. I am a bond slave. I am a slave. Mary submitted, acknowledging that she was fully under God's control and agenda. Mary had no agendas. She aligned herself with the divine agenda. She wholeheartedly embraced the angel's words and agreed to bear the child, even under humanly impossible circumstances and even social difficulties. Mary had a lot to risk. She risked losing Joseph, her family, her reputation as a young woman, even by trying to convince others that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit most likely, people would think that she was, are you crazy? She was facing all of that. But despite of all of those risks, Mary responded, may it be done to me according to your word. When Mary said that, she did not know what would be ahead of her. She did not know about the tremendous opportunity she would have. However, Mary stepped in to all of that in faith while trusting God. She could have consulted with someone else or weighed the, out the pros and cons before making the decision to obey, but she did not do those things. She only knew one thing, that God was asking her to serve him, and she instantly and willingly obeyed. I think we all need Mary's kind of trust and responsiveness to God. Maybe too many of us wait to see the bottom line before offering ourselves to God. But God wants willing servants to put their faith in Christ and live for the great commission 
wherever they are and whatever the Lord takes them. So the question to all of us, will you be one of those who responds to God in faith and obedience like Mary? Remember that faith and obedience are the safest haven to the believer's soul. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's filled with truth. And as Christ says, and you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lord, help us just to every day submit to your will joyfully and without a lot of negotiation, knowing that you are God. We thank you for the Savior. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for all what he did on the cross. We thank you that he conquered death so that those who trust in him will forever live with him and will enjoy eternal life. Pray that the example that Mary set before us today, we would follow that example. But not only that, help us to fix our eyes on Christ, the captain of our faith, and help us to follow in his steps every day of our lives so that his name would be honored. And in his name I pray. Amen.